Good day, everybody. It is Tuesday, October 13th. Um, I have a fascination with the day the 13th, Friday the 13th, but it's not Friday the 13th, so we won't go there. Um, after yesterday, I did some deep thinking. I love factual history. Um, I knew some things about Christopher Columbus, and... Uh, once I really did some research and realized that's what we were celebrating yesterday, I wanted to share with you the things that I have discovered about our dear Christopher Columbus. <laughs> now, mind you, I am American and I am very patriotic. I, I love my country. Um, I support our president. Whoever that president may be, I'm usually supportive of our country. Um, but there are some lines that have been blurred in our history, and a lot of it has to do with Christopher Columbus. Um, that's who we'll be speaking of today, because technically he was not the first person to discover America. In fact, Christopher Columbus never once, not once, never, ever, 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 stepped into the United States. Not once. He didn't make it past Mexico. Um, so, you know, when I was growing up, we had learned he had docked and he was within the original 48 states and he had created, you know, small villages there and brought white people over and they made friends with the natives. This is what I learned in history. And that's where Thanksgiving came from. Um, and it was a beautiful thing. Over time, I've had bits of history that come up on my Facebook and it's, it has sparked my curiosity to go searching further. Um, and in the last couple years is when I've really started digging about each one of our holidays. So after yesterday, I had to make sure that we were discussing the correct holiday. And yes, Columbus Day, which was yesterday, was celebrating the day that Christopher Columbus first himself saw land. And that was October 12th. But see, here's a conflicting issue. And this is documented, you guys. There was a sailor because Christopher Columbus promised the first sailor who saw land would receive uh, a some amount of money in the value of about, where was it? I wrote it down. I took notes of $540. And in that time and day, that was a year wage for a sailor. So Christopher Columbus promised the first sailor to see land would receive this amount of money. Well, the sailor came forward on October 11th and said, sir, I believe I see land. And Christopher Columbus goes, no, no, no. I think last night I saw a flickering light. So I saw it first and I received the money. Because, see, Christopher's Columbus trip was funded by the king and queen of Spain back then. That was King Fernandin and Queen Isabella. They funded his trip, um, and he would be uh, honoring Spanish Catholic, uh, you know, country. So he came over with three ships, Right. We're just going to dive into this. So uh, they came in through the Bahamas is where Christopher Columbus actually came in through. And that was in 1492. This was October 1492. October 11th was the day the first sailor possibly saw land. And Christopher Columbus was like, no, I saw a flickering light the night before. So I received the award. So the next day, as they were watching, 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 eventually on October 12th, they did see clearly they spotted land, okay? And um, when they got to land, and this is interesting, you guys, because he was Catholic, a devout Catholic. Um, so religion is kind of interesting how 
it got twisted. And I'm going to bring it in. They used religion and twisted it in this time period with Christopher Columbus. So Christopher Columbus gets off the boat and he kneels on the ground and he thanks God that he made it. He thanks God for seeing the lands. And this is in the Bahamas, you guys. Um, the Tainos were the native tribe that lived there. Um, they came forward very openly um, and they assembled on the beach and they gave Christopher Columbus and his crew gifts. They gave them, um, what did they give them? Food, gifts, drinks. Um, they had never seen a white man before. So they felt that the white man was godlike. Now, Christopher Columbus, you guys, this is what he wrote back to the king and queen about his, you know, first encounter with the Tainos. As soon as I arrived in the Indies on the first island, which I found, I took some of the natives by force in order that they might learn and might give me information on whatever there is in these parts. They brought us parrots and balls of cotton and spears and many other things. They willingly traded everything they owned. They were well built with good bodies and handsome features. They do not bear arms. They do not know them. For I showed them a sword and they took it by the edge and cut themselves out of ignorance. This is Christopher Columbus's documented writing. Okay. They have no iron. Their spears of made of cane. They would make fine servants. With 50 men, we could sub subjugate them all and make them do whatever we wanted. Okay. Wow, that is quite interesting. That came from the word of Christopher, from his mouth, Christopher Columbus. That's how he spoke of the tribe that came forward and was willing to embrace them, strangers on their territory. So for the next two months, Christopher Columbus was searching for gold. Um, he was, you know, traveling by ship. He wanted to, he used these people. He wanted gold. That was his... That was his end goal, was gold. He wanted money. He wanted fame. He wanted gold. Um, I took a lot of notes, you guys. This gets interesting. Okay, so in December, this would have been east of Cuba. Um, the three ships landed on the second largest island in the Caribbean, and it was called La Española. Um, and Christmas Eve, um, was the day they were planning on returning to Spain because they weren't having any success. Um, and, uh, the Santa Maria, the ship Santa Maria, uh, ran ground and it crumbled and sank. So Christopher Columbus and his men, along with the Taino tribe, offered to help and they salvaged as much wood as they can and they built a fort called La, Na La Nadida, okay? This fort um, was made for a post and they left 39 men of the Christopher Columbus's crew behind because they only had two boats left now and they didn't have enough room on those two boats to take those 39 men so they left 39 of christopher columbus's men at this fort called la da la na dia <laughs> and uh christopher columbus and the other men returned back to spain um because they were having no luck finding gold um and uh, they went back to Spain and they returned with 17 ships, okay? Because they also took back with them some of the natives and some of their findings, which was like birds and things that the natives had, like the, which would have been foreign to the Spanish country at the time, very primitive. So Christopher Columbus later returned with 17 ships, once again, funded by King and Queen of Spain. Um, I need a drink here. 
Oh, that was perfectly made. Okay. While gone, okay, while Christopher Columbus was gone, these Catholic Spanish men, the 39 left behind, they were raping the women and killing the men and pillaging whatever they wanted. They felt entitled. They felt that they could have whatever woman they wanted, that this was their land. I can have whatever I want. Mind you, they're Catholic. They're religious. They believe in God. Because Catholics still believe in God. But they're over here raping the women. Murdering the men. Taking whatever they want from these people. And these people were the ones that welcomed them in with open arms. A primitive native tribe. So Christopher Columbus returned in was destroyed and these men along with it. That's because uh, the leader of the, uh, I want to say the tribe, right? The Tainos, right? There was a leader called Now Nom. I'm going to pronounce it wrong. Kau Nau Ba. was the leader. And he got together with other village leaders and all but one decided this was not how godly men behave and they were destroying their tribes. So they destroyed the men. I would have too. Like you start raping my wife, you're gone. Like, and these were Catholic men, devout faith. They, and they were doing this. So what does Christopher Columbus do? He returns and vows revenge. He's going to kill this man. He's going to kill all these natives. He'll do whatever it takes to make it happen. So he started building more forts. And that thus began the destruction of these native tribes. Christopher Columbus and the people that returned with him, devout Catholics, mind you, Christians, Catholics are considered Christians, you know. They were devout Christians. They captured these tribes one by one by one. They made the men work in the gold mines that Christopher Columbus was, you know, opening up in search of gold. They took the wives to do with what they wanted to. So there was no people left to work in the field. Um, boys as young as 14 were made to mine in these gold mines and they had to fill a thimble up with gold every three months. And if they didn't do this, they were either beheaded, a hand was taken off, um, or they were killed in another brutal way. Um, 10,000 natives died from losing their hand because of how brutal it was. It was very primitive how these devout Catholics uh, were taking these people's hands off. So um, pretty soon the land ran out of food. The Spaniards, the Columbus's people ran out of supplies. There was nobody working in the fields because they had taken everybody. So there was no food on the land and um, they also found the original tribe leader who had um, made it possible to kill the original 39 men. Uh, Columbus found him, tricked him, got him on a boat. And I don't know how he tricked him. It wasn't, I couldn't find that. Um, they got him on a boat, sent that boat to Spain, and that man was never seen again. I'm sure Columbus was upset because... You know, he too himself was very entitled. Um, this is, Christopher Columbus gave his men, women um, and children and young girls. And I'm going to read some stuff that is documented from eyewitnesses at the time that were partaking in this grotesque behavior. While I was on a boat, I captured a very beautiful Carib woman whom the Lord Admiral gave to me, who would have been Columbus. 
Having taken her into my cabin, she be being naked according to their custom, I conceived desire to take pleasure. I wanted to put my desire into execution, but she did not want it and treated me with her fingernails in such a manner I wished I'd never begun. But seeing that, to tell you the end of it all, I took a rope and thrashed her well, for which she raised such unheard screams that you would not have believed your ears. Finally, we came to an agreement in such a manner, I can tell you she seemed to have been brought up in a school of harlots. Well, you beat me with only within an inch of my life. I'm most likely going to agree to anything, right? This is a devout Catholic that Columbus was giving women to. A woman that wasn't his. These people may have been primitive, but they were good people. They weren't evil. They embraced Columbus and his men from the get-go with open arms, giving them gifts. And Columbus was making fun of them. They're ignorant. They'll give us whatever they want. We can make them slaves. Hooray for Columbus. Let's see. There was another man called Bartolome de los Casas. Such humanities and barbarism were committed in my sight. As no age can uh, parallel, my eyes have seen these acts so foreign to human nature that I now tremble as I write. Because, see, this man had seen sex trade back then. He was watching Christopher Columbus with his men trade girls as young as 9 and 10 for sex slave. Um, and here's another statement by Christopher Columbus, because all he was concerned about was getting the gold. Gold is the most precious of all commodities. Gold constitutes treasure, and he who possesses it has all he needs in the world, as also the means of rescuing souls from perjury and restoring them to enjoyment of paradise. Christopher Columbus, there is no amount of gold that will save your soul, only the forgiveness of God. And if you did not learn that in Catholic school then you were wrongly misled by the wrong education. Um, Christopher Columbus also stated, a hundred Casalones are easily obtained for women as for a farm, and it is very general, and there are plenty of dealers who go about looking for girls. Those from nine to ten are now in demand. You guys... Devout Catholics from Spain, you know, our origin. This is our origin. We came from somewhere. They're going over buying nine and ten-year-old girls. This was allowed. And now Christopher Columbus has his own day on the calendar. Yet he's over here exploiting nine ten-year-old girls. But we've made him a national holiday? I don't know, America. We really got to fess up to this stuff. We can't be embellishing. This isn't taught in the school books. You really have to dig for this stuff. So, towards the end of the 1400s, um, it was around 1496. Um, this would have been four years after Columbus had saw land. Almost all the Tianos were gone. Most of the natives were dead. 70% of them were gone. They were gone from sickness, hard labor. A lot of them committed suicide. Um, death, murder, tortured, raped. I mean, it was despicable. The, um, Columbus had war dogs that he would dress in armor. And they would go around grabbing babies out of mother's hands. And they would toss them to these war dogs in front of these families. And allow the dogs to rip these babies to shreds right in front of their mothers. This is our hero. Who, by the way, never set foot in America. But he discovered America. I'm calling it out like I see it. Like it, it's disgusting how this is taught in history 
Like, I'm so glad my kids are homeschooled. They learn the real stuff. Um, so eventually there became a major issue. The Spanish couldn't hide Columbus's behavior anymore. They had to make a show of something because it was ridiculously out of hand. They had almost destroyed a native nation. I mean, it was disgusting, the behavior. They couldn't deny it. Like in Columbus's own writing, they were seeing it. So the Spanish leaders started um, investigating. They sent over an investigator to try to calm everything down and talk to everybody, talk to the native tribes, talk to Columbus. Um, Columbus and his brothers were, you know, charged, but never really prosecuted. They were never, there was never any consequences. They were removed from the Bahamas, but he was allowed to voyage still for two more years, um, which uh, was crazy. So in 1503, the Spanish ordered a meeting with these Tayanos, and the original man who had set up destroying those 39 men the one Christopher Columbus tricked to get on a boat and they never saw him again after he shipped from uh, shipped to Spain. He had a wife. His wife was, I'm going to try to pronounce this. This was, a, this was a hard one. Ano Koana. Oh, I got it. Ano, Ano Koana. Okay. She was 29 years old and she was in this meeting with eight 80 other leaders, right? They were in this building set up by the Spanish. The Spanish was basically wanting to get them to calm down and just everything will be all right and let bygones be bygones. That's what the Spanish wanted. And she wasn't having it. She was like, uh, no, what you've done is wrong. You took my husband. More than 70% of our tribes are gone. You've raped all the women stolen all the young girls, killed all the babies, and you want me to be okay with this? No. So the Spaniards, who were upset at her rejection, uh, attempted to burn down the building with all these leaders in it. Some of the leaders survived, and she was one of them. Well, the Spanish ended up capturing her. They offered her um, leniency if she would submit herself to a Spaniard. She refused. Um, her dignity meant much more to her than her life. Thank you, Lord. What a brave woman. Now that woman deserves a national holiday. Because of her rejection, the Spanish ordered her to be executed violently. She was hung at the age of 29 for standing up for her rights for her people and not giving in and allowing herself to go to another man. Um... That was, now she deserves a national holiday. So in 1506, Christopher Columbus finally went back to Spain and that's where he died. He was never charged for his crimes formally. Um, I doubt he ever truly repented. Um, but God still loves him, I guess. See, we got to find forgiveness in things, you guys. So that is the story of Christopher Columbus and his crew. That's stuff you don't read in history books. Um, they teach exactly the opposite. If you don't believe what I'm saying, research it. Start looking up the facts. Don't take my word for it. Maybe I'm wrong. But you can't call somebody wrong until you actually do the research. And this is where a lot of people go wrong when they start believing everything they read in a book, especially history books. American history books are made to embellish America looking like we did everything right. And we did not. Christopher Columbus never made it to America. Um, the Thanksgiving they're talking about probably never really existed. Okay. Um, because I've done some research on Americans and natives, and I've actually read the 
uh, book that documented the Lewis and Clark Trail. We weren't so good in that one either, um, but that's for another day. Uh, I've also read about how North Dakota was founded um, and how the Norwegians were able to come over. Um, America was founded in a very brutal way, and we don't teach the facts in school. So here I am giving you the truth, and I invite you, I encourage you, I want you to do the research. I want you to see it with your own eyes. I want you to see, you know, the sources, start reading the facts and learning to find the truth for yourself. I'm trying to teach people how to find the truth for yourself. Because when you start seeking the truth for yourself, you, you start to spark something in your brain and you start going searching for deeper meaning in life. It's not just about history. It's about actually going out and seeking something because it's in seeking truths. You start seeking your purpose and you start finding who you are. This is how I found out who I was. I started getting caught up in these things that would come up on my Facebook. Weird history. This is how I found out about fluoride. I just popped up on my Facebook one day. Fluoride was a toxin they used to subdue the Jews and make them easier to handle. But wait a second, isn't fluoride in our toothpaste? Yes, it is. They still use it to this day because the mind knowledge says a little bit of toxin at a time builds your, uh, builds your tolerance. Yes, it builds your tolerance, but it breaks down your organs. It's like drinking a little bit every day. Sure, it builds up your tolerance, but eventually you're going to die of liver failure. That's a fact. Fluoride is no different. So these things started coming up on my Facebook. And I just got intrigued that that's not what I learned in the history books. And I come from a small town in North Dakota. I am very limited in my knowledge. I've learned more in the last five years then I've learned my whole life because I'm actually searching the right knowledge. I'm not just taking what people feed me and going, that's true. I believe in that. You should never follow another person unless you really, really trust that person. I should take that back. There are a few people that are trustworthy. I know a few, a very small few. In fact, probably one or two. And one is, I only trust one fully, to be honest. The other ones I just trust are good people. But there are very few people in this world that will get information right, that will actually feed you the truth. A lot of people are very biased. They are very defensive. I'm just talking about this Christopher Columbus thing. How many people watching today are just like, that's not true. That's not what I read. But what have you searched yourself in the truth? How much research have you done? It's in the research you start seeing. I was wrongly educated. But there's nothing you can do about that, you guys, except educate yourself. Here's the thing. We can complain all day long that the schools are getting it wrong, but ultimately it is up to the parents to make sure that their children are getting edu educated the correct way. Sure, the schools should be getting it right, but the teachers aren't the ones writing the books. Sure, the ones writing the books should be getting it right, but honestly, it's the parents' job to truly make sure that the way their children are getting educated is correct. A lot of parents have lost touch with your job as a parent. We're supposed to be the ones teaching our kids to cook, clean, garden, manage finances, um, true history. But a lot of us are too lazy to do it ourselves. Let's just say it as it is. A lot of parents are too lazy to sit there and actually learn what they need to learn to educate their own children. They're too busy on their phone. They're too busy with friends. They're too busy this. They're too busy that. They don't want to do the research. They're too busy living their life. 
to want to educate their children. So they shove their children off to the school system. I guess what, you guys? You see the product of what the school system is doing in raising your children. So if you don't like it, then you have to start raising your children yourself. Going on a whole different tangent. Sorry, God. It's a whole different tangent for a whole different day. I better simmer down. So you guys, I'm going to end this with a story out of the Bible because I do believe everybody deserves forgiveness. Even Christopher Columbus and his men, those were despicable acts that were done on to people who were not deserving of such a thing. Um, and that's how our country was supposedly founded. It's despicable, but it's history. That's our history, you guys. So we have to own it, good and bad. This is what I've learned about things from my choices. My history is not so pretty, okay? Um, sure, I didn't choose who my parents were, but I've made a couple of relationship choices that were my choices. Um, I chose to become an alcoholic. I chose to put the drink to my mouth and I chose to drink it every day, which created the addiction. I chose to become addicted. Those are facts. So my past it's not so pretty. I've done some not very nice things. I've allowed things to happen to my children and I've never stood up for them. But God is a forgiving God and a merciful God and a gracious God. He's a loving God. He forgave me. And in forgiving me, I have forgiven others and I've learned how to love others through their struggles. Um, and understand that we all have a history and, um, if God can forgive me, then I have no right to stand and judge and say, you don't deserve forgiveness and to embrace it because my addiction taught me something. My childhood taught me something. My relationship choices taught me something and I am who I am today. So I found gratitude in the poor choices because I learned something from it. So when you think of how America was founded, you know, it is what it is. We embrace it. We own it. That's what it is. And we be honest about it. We learn from it. Um, ironically, Sex trafficking of children is still going on today, which is sad, but it's true. We just have to educate our children, not just. That is very important to teach our children to speak out. Um, but it's interesting that it was going on even back then amongst the Catholics. You know, you hear all these stories about the Catholic Church. Everything's so hush-hush with them. When everything has to be hush-hush, that's when I begin to wonder what's behind the doors. So not to bash on the Catholic religion, not all. We all have somebody bad in every religion. But Christopher Columbus does deserve forgiveness. And so does all those men that did those things. Um, for they didn't have control. Greed drove them. This is what happens when you are an entitled, greedy person and money is the focus. You lose sight of being a good person because now you just do whatever it takes to get what you want. And the lines get blurred of morally correct and ethically correct. So in the Bible is a story about King David and a woman named Bathsheba. You will find this story in 2 Samuel and it starts at chapter 11. King David was very famous. He had hundreds of women. He got whatever he wanted. He was that kind of king. He was very entitled, very spoiled. Um, he just did whatever he wanted. And he didn't care who he hurt. So Bathsheba was married to a man named Uriah. Okay. Probably a beautiful woman. This king wanted her. Um, 
So in uh, chapter 11, verse 2, and I'm not going to read the whole story. Should I? No, it's long. But I, I will post most of it, at least where you can find it in the Bible, so that you can read it. I invite you to read these stories yourself. Really read it once I explain it. So David, Uriah was a warrior for David. Okay, that's how David knew him. He was a great man in his army. Um, and here it says in verse 2, Then it happened one evening that David rose from his bed and walked to the roof of the king's house, which was his house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elenim, the wife of Ura? They, Haiti, Haiti, I said that wrong. Then David sent messengers and took her. She came to him and he laid with her for she was cleansed from her impurity. She returned to her house. See, the thing about that back in the day, you don't deny the king. He could kill you. He had the authority to. So I can imagine she's over here like, because women back then were, somewhat powerless over people of authority. You had to do what they told you to do. So here's poor Bathsheba. And guess what? She ended up pregnant. So she, uh, it says, and the woman conceived. So she sent and told David and said, I am with a child. Then David sent to Joab saying, send me, Uriah, the Hadi, Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. So basically, um, basically what David, and I'm just going to fast forward and generalize some of this story. So what David did was he called Bathsheba's husband from the war what was going on from the battlefield. And he was smoozing him. And then he goes, go home and rest. Go home and be with your wife. Because see, David didn't want to take responsibility for the child. He wanted to put the responsibility on her husband so that his infidelity was not known. And he wouldn't have to, you know, take accountability. He was avoiding accountability at all costs. And this is quite deceiving. Deceiving. Call the man from the field, have him go home with his wife. She's going to end up looking like she's pregnant with his kid. Everything's going to be good. And David got away with having what he wanted. That's what the story's about. Quite interesting. Um, and later on, So Uriah refused to go home and be with his wife. He refused David. It says it in chapter 11. There's too much going on, King. I am devoted to you. I cannot lay with my wife while this is going on. I have to be devoted to the battlefield. So I'm sure David was like, well, what do I do now? What does David do now? He conspires with another man to put Uriah in the front of the hottest battle. That's what it says. In chapter or verse 15, it says, And he wrote in the letter saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. David ordered this. Why? Because he didn't want to own up that he had gotten this man's wife pregnant and he had to take accountability. He just wanted to sleep around and drop his seed everywhere. Does this sound familiar? <laughs> this, sounds, this sounds like somebody I was married to. Hooray, Brendan. Having children you cannot take care of. Sorry, I had to get that dig in there. <sighs> so Uriah died. And David ended up taking Bathsheba for his wife, and she had the child. Um, but he still continued his, his destructive behavior. 
I haven't read the full story yet, but I know this is the same David that wrote the Psalms. So eventually David became a man of God's heart through all these acts of deceit and disgustingness. And I might read further and share this because we're going to stay on this topic, this this verse, we're going to stay on this topic for the rest of the week, I do believe. That seems what God wants to do. So I'm going to read more up on David and share with you. But David was a very bad man. Christopher Columbus and his crew. And we gave them a national holiday, you guys. He wasn't even the first one to see the land. He took that away from somebody else on his boat so he could get the money. Um... I'm just setting the facts straight, you guys. And I, like I said, I invite you guys to really do this research. It's going to shock you the things you find out. It's graphic. Um, but I believe that we do have to keep some of this true. We have to keep the facts going about how we were truly founded. If we keep blurring the line, there's going to be no truth to our existence. I want to know the truth. I don't want it blurred. I don't care how ugly it is. For me, I accept the ugliness because I have ugly parts about me and I love those parts about me because they define me. I overcame them. Look at where America's come from that day. We've grown out of these things. But when we bury it underneath the surface and we start hiding these things, this is what causes a lot of people to be upset. A lot of foreign countries are like, uh, no, that's not what really happened uh, because their history books are getting it right. Um, so it causes a lot of dysfunction within our nation, a lot of dysfunction in our society because some people don't know the truth. It took me a long time to really start searching and realizing that Columbus Day was bogus. And now, I don't know. I'm sure our economy makes money off of it somehow, which is pretty sad. So you guys, a recap. I gave you some facts about Christopher Columbus, okay? I invite you, I encourage you to do the research yourself. It's on YouTube, it's all online. You can find these things. Their sources, all these things that I read, like when you saw me reading off of here, those were documents actually written by Christopher Columbus and his men discussing the trip. They felt that those things were truly okay. The way they wrote them is because they believed that this behavior was okay. This behavior was allowed. So it makes me wonder, is this the type of behavior that was allowed in Spain? Hmm, I don't know. Like on my dad's side, my grandma comes from Spain. She didn't act like that, but she was a woman. So it was a little bit different. So you got a history of a little bit of the Spanish culture, but now Mexican culture and America, you know, what truly went down. So when you start seeing all these ancient ruins, you know, we were kind of the ones who destroyed them, which is kind of sad. And even in their primitive state, this is what I've learned about the most primitive God-fearing cultures, they still believed in God. They just did the right thing. They didn't need a book. They didn't have a book. They just prayed. They prayed with God. I realized that about my friend Coffee. Um, you know, he's educated himself in the Bible, but a lot of his belief with God is simply prayer and having a relationship with him. It was never... He went specifically to a school. It was just they raised to make God the focus in their home. It wasn't about the words they read and going to church every Sunday. It wasn't about those things. It was just making God the focus. So a lot of these primitive cultures, even in the primitive state, were very much God-fearing people. They just didn't worship God the way... Catholics deemed to be appropriate, you know, those very, 
organized religious groups. I want to say it the correct way. Because back then, you know, that's those groups were not so healthy for society. They got away with a lot of bad things. Just as Christopher Columbus's crew, they were devout Catholics, praising God for landing on the same island that they were pillaging, plundering, and raping women, thinking that this was okay. It's mind-boggling. It truly is. But obviously, they learned that that behavior was okay throughout their entire life. So who allowed it? Their society allowed it. Their parents allowed it. They learned it within the society that they lived in. That's what I'm getting at. So what does that say about the Catholic religion back in the day? I mean, uh, I better get off the Catholic topic. <laughs> would have people upset at me. It would be like Eminem. They're going to want to drown me in the holy water. Ah! So you guys, I gave you a history thing about Christopher Columbus. And you know, I'm not looking to diminish patriotism. I'm a patriot. The fullest. I love my country. Good and bad. But facts are facts. I like to keep them straight. We're also going to be talking a little bit more about David. David was the one who wrote this Psalms. The Psalms are beautiful. It gets a very roller coaster emotional ride of ups and downs of coming to God and following him and having faith. But I, I do want to learn with you the true background of David and where he came from to understand how he wrote the Psalms now. So I guess I'm working backwards because I've never read the full story of David. So we're going to be learning together. Today is Tuesday. Today is a beautiful day for me, you guys. I get to share in a final goodbye with my aftercare group how God has changed my life, how he has taken and changed my habits, how he has taken and taught me how to let go of the old me and he's created a new person with new habits and a new life. I get to share this. I also get to share how when I go through emotional, mental struggles in life, because I have ups and downs, I have bad days, I get to share how God guides me through these. Now, the thing is, is the people within this class they're searching too, just like I was. They are searching for deeper meaning, for purpose. They know that there's something out there and they've heard bits and pieces from me. And they're very curious now and they're searching in their own life. So to be able to have a moment to share and fully disclose what God is capable of doing in your life if you allow him is such a beautiful thing. Like I'm giving God the glory to what he's done in my life. And this will inspire others to be like, okay, maybe religion is not so fearful. Maybe the Bible is not so fearful. Look at her. They've seen me come from nothing. I've been in counseling since 2018 and I've had some ups and downs. These people, they know me. My counselors know me. And these people that have been in and out have been in and out like me. So they've seen me transform in the last year. So the words I'm saying, my words and my behavior match. So my so I become a truthful example of what recovery is. And it's such a beautiful thing to know that they have that opportunity of recovery because God is there for them too. It's such a beautiful thing. So I'll have to get that together. And I'm really excited to learn about David with you guys this week. So I'm going to do some research tonight. Your challenge for today. What was the thing we were talking about yesterday? It was the, a moment. It was a moment somebody that you held a grudge against that you felt that that moment that you still had that that you, it had a pull on you it was a moment that had a pull on you okay how did that go did you address it did you think about it did you emotionally address what kind of pull it was okay 
Is it good or is it bad? No, because I have some pulls that I realize that are good for me. Um, and I embrace that. So what kind of pull does this have on you? But now I'll start thinking, do I resist it? Do I embrace it? Am I scared of it? Do I feed it? Okay. Is it a negative pull? And do I feed it? Like drinking was a negative pull on me and I kept drinking and drinking and drinking and drinking and lying. Is this a pull that you feed that maybe you shouldn't anymore? Or is it a positive pull that you should be cultivating? Because I have some positive pulls in my life that I should be cultivating a little bit better. Like I've really cut off the connection of anything negative in my life. I've come to the point where I've learned to set those boundaries and I don't allow those things in my life. So I guess the challenge is to think about how you need to start addressing getting rid of the negative pulls. They're not serving you a purpose. If it doesn't serve your purpose to better you, it doesn't belong in your life. And that's what you need to start asking yourself at everything that pulls in you. Does it help you grow? Is it serving you a purpose, a positive one? Does it, does it bring something good in your life? If it doesn't, then you need to cut it off, okay? And you need to remove it from your life. God can't physically remove things from you. He can make it so where it's painful to have those connections, but you yourself have to do the actual work and you have to cut those ties that bind you. You have to be the one to disconnect. So I want you to think about those. That's what the challenge is going to be. Start thinking about those negative connections. And what do you need to do to disconnect and move forward in your life? Because those negative connections will only hold you back. I know. They weigh you down. They weigh you down like weights. And they cause pain in your heart. And they cause you to grind. You gotta release them. So I love you guys. And uh, have a beautiful, beautiful Tuesday. I hope you embrace the challenge. And I also hope you do some investigating on Christopher Columbus. That's another one I want you to do. If, you, if you're not ready to really focus on disconnecting, and I think you should, you got to think about those things. But do some investigation about Christopher Columbus yourself. Really put that knowledge inside yourself and share with others. Be that person that shares. Like just inspire others to start searching themselves. I love you guys. God bless.